my gosh. Crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Ralph, are you logged in as uh, the login or the guest link? Uh, I'm on the guest link. Okay. Hmm. My browser is not cooperating. I need to reboot it again. But if I do, it might end <laughs> things. So I don't dare. Okay. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm here. here. I'm here. I Hold on. I can do it. I'll, okay. You're it. in the login login? Yeah, I am. Okay. I can do this. Hey, everybody. This isn't no. the show. This might not this even be not the pre-show show. banter. This, this is, is not the way it is. I'm going to turn on, turn off, turn on. Hopefully, none of y'all disappear. We'll see. All right. This is we'll see this here. is what happens when we give Ryan mushrooms. Oh, um, yeah, we right, just right. wanted to see from a psychedelic perspective what <laughs> happens, and now we know it's awesome. So if I hit you a clip thing, does that start the news? Yeah. Uh... No. Okay, so I, I gotta I, say, I peed myself a little. That was <laughs> fancy. <laughs> when you're like, whenever I hit this button, does that do something? I'm like, he just, he just ended it. He just ended he the whole it. thing. That's he it. We're it. over. Oh my god! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another BHIS talking about news. We have a lot of people on. I'm not gonna say all their names because there's just so, so many people, and they'll introduce themselves at some point. But thank you for joining. We greatly appreciate it. We have some news stories kicking off this week. One of the ones I would like to lead with is Dan Kaminsky passed away this weekend. And just wanted to say a couple of things about Dan. I, I know that some uh, Rob, I think, is on. Rob, I know, has met Dan Kaminsky. And uh, for those of you that didn't know Dan Kaminsky, first and foremost, Dan was super cool. Years and years and years ago, uh, before I was like a, a budding, young, you know, InfoSec luminary, I remember hanging out with Dan Kaminsky at RSA. And arguing with him over some technical thing. And he would talk to people like the same way, whether or not you were an absolute nobody or you were like an infosec luminary in the industry. And he always took the time to talk with people. And I really, really respected that a lot about him. And uh, he will be missed horribly. And I wanted to bring up a couple of things. If you want to research Dan Kaminsky and some of the cool stuff he's done, he's done a lot of really cool research on JavaScript attacks, SSL. Uh, you've got to read his paper, um, MD5, to be considered harmful today. You've got to look at his research on ScanRand. And of course, you got to know the 2008 vulnerability for DNS cache poisoning. And I wanted to bring up that specific chapter because I think it highlights something nasty in this industry. And a lot of people don't know this, but Dan Kaminsky actually found a way that he could literally take over the entire freaking internet with the Dan Kaminsky DNS cache poisoning vulnerability. And in that same year, he also won a Pony Award in 2008 for the most overhyped vulnerability. And it was a real jackass move by the uh, people that put on the Pony Awards. And, yeah. you know, kind, kind of Dan's approach to it was he was trying to do something good for the community and the way he was researching and disclosing the information. But there was a crap ton of people in the industry that were mad because they were like, well, I think one of the quotes was, we don't patch things simply because Dan Kaminsky tells us to do so. And uh, some of those companies actually got hacked. I know AT&T out of Texas got hacked. Another telco provider in California got hacked because they refused to install the patches to DNS that Dan was working with the community and Microsoft and Bind and a bunch of other people to get out there. But he was trying to do the right thing. And back in 2008, there was a lot of people that if you didn't do exactly what you want or what they wanted you to do, 
they would tear you down. And that's kind of what they did to Dan Kaminsky, I feel, with like the Pony Awards. But he always had an attitude of he was trying to help community. He was always worried about doing the right thing. As I got to know him better, presenting at cons with him, not at, on stage, but same cons we'd be at, going out to dinner with him. He always had a focus of trying to do the right thing for the community as a whole. If you debated him, oh my God, he was vicious in a debate, <laughs> uh, whether it was a hallway or a con or at dinner, but he always kept it respectful. He never really hit below the belt. And he never once tried to win an argument by saying, I am Dan freaking Kaminsky. He wouldn't do that. Bruce Schneier would. Bruce Schneier actually did try that once whenever we were talking about the difference between cross-site scripting, cross-site request forgery. He said they were the same thing. I disagreed. And he said, well, I'm Bruce Schneier. So I guess that he won that argument. But he will be sorely missed. And if you're looking for a security researcher trajectory for a career, I would strongly encourage you to look at what he did. And how he would find weird niche areas like MD5, weird niche areas like DNS, weird things in SSL, TLS. And uh, he would dig in because it was what interested him. Like you never really talked to Dan Kaminsky and it was a conversation about how uh, he's going in this specific area because that's where everyone's at. Well, the cloud is clearly the future. We all need to be going. To no, it was just he just found something that was interesting to him and he dug in as deep as he could. So, yeah, he, he will be. The the thing that I remember him about one of my interactions with him is I was talking about a specific, I think it was Windows thing, of course, but like talking about IPsec or whatever. And I was like, and it, and it works this way. And I, I was able to find this way. And like every step of the way, he's like, are you sure? I'm yeah. like, no, like it could work that way. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. What about this and this? And like his, I'll always remember the "Are you sure?" from him because you made you doubt it, yourself immediately, right? Right, like, and like, but that was great because, like, if you were sure, if you're like, "Yeah, that's definitely worked," he would totally like, yeah, "Okay, awesome," and then move on. Like, he wouldn't be like uh, negative about it, right? He 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 yeah. just wanted you to keep your 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 um you know concept of what you're talking about open to other possibilities. So. Yeah, super cool dude. You know, it's kind of, Rob, we were talking about how much we miss being at cons and seeing each other at these different things. And yeah. one of the things, you know, should have taken more time to try to see him go out to dinner with him. You know, a lot of times we go to conferences and a lot of the presenters and speakers are going out and a lot of us just don't go. And, you know, I, I think I think for if you ever get a chance to see somebody at a con, a friend or colleague, take it, take the advantage because we really don't know how much longer we'll all be here. So just Take advantage of it. And Dan will be sorely missed in the industry for a long, long, long time. But no matter how much people gave him shit for like some of the stuff that he did and he researched and what he actually did, he just kept coming back with awesome stuff. And people want to know how you become a legend in this industry. Dan Kaminsky gives us a good, a good place, a, a good thing to follow. Yeah. And he always brought cookies like to his talks, <laughs> which was awesome. Baked goods from his like, I think it was his grandma. Um, yeah. that like he gave out to the crowd and stuff but that was that was a i don't know those are like the are you sure and the and the always and the cookies thinking, well it wasn't it wasn't that it wasn't that it was cookies it wasn't that it was you know it was that he was thinking i want to make sure that even if you don't get anything from my talk that you come away from the talk with something right like yeah like it was a very giving con. Like I don't know. I might be reading I, way too into this, but like he was always I, thinking I, about other people, at well, least from it, my interactions with him. 
but th- but I like that because he was kind of a scatterbrain, right? I mean, if you ever talked to Dan, like you know, he would be focused on you, but he would be talking about other things, and uh, I, I, yeah, he was all over the place. He he was like a crack-addled squirrel, and <laughs> um, and there's times. Like you talk about like the are you sure thing, like if you were talking and debating with Dan, there were times like, you know, from a technical perspective, he'd ask some of those very blunt questions about what you what you did or did not know. And, and there was people I remember they're talking to, it's like Dan's kind of an asshole. But no, really, he would ask very blunt questions. And it was never like he was asking it to try to make you look bad. It's just he genuinely wanted to kind of know what you were talking about and how, how you were coming. But uh, but no, he was just he was just cool. Speaking of legends, do we want to talk about Signal breaking Celerate? <laughs> I purposely did not read anything about this, so I want, I, like, I want to get a, a, a full reaction from this, a, a genuine reaction from this. So, what's what? so? The first thing yeah. is, Rob. I want to talk about it. Like, there was there was some news article I was reading about this one, and they were like, "When does an executive of a company like Signal have time to actually break a product like Celerate?" And and I think it's hilarious because those people don't know Moxie Marlin Spike. <laughs> um, so Moxie Marlin Spike c- talking about another person, you know, contributions to the industry as the whole, especially in the area of uh, encrypted communications. Did some work with Twitter for a while. Also, you know, way 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 back in the day, I think it was 2008, where he came up with the SSL strip vulnerabilities. I'm a huge proponent of privacy. If you can read anything that he's written as it relates to privacy. Yeah. And the dangers of looking at the world as, well, if I have nothing illegal, why do I need to be afraid of the police state? And he's like, no, you do illegal stuff, like, all day long, like, yeah. literally all day I, long. I point that could be that leverage. story all, like, that he wrote yep. about that all the time. Like, you don't think you have anything to hide it's because you don't understand, like, how the world is now, right? So <laughs> Exactly. And then the other thing that you should read, and if you can, Hold Fast is a movie that he did um, about resurrecting a really decrepit, horrible sailboat with him and a bunch <laughs> of his anarchist friends and going out on the ocean. He's got tons of articles and things about you know hitchhiking and riding trains. But Moxie is amazing too. And uh, yeah, so he basically broke Celebrate. Now, I don't actually know the vulnerabilities. Has anyone actually gone through the actual vulnerabilities of this and how he's making Celebrate look bad, which I don't completely disagree with? Like I said, I have not. I have not dig, dug into this. Yeah, I dug a little bit into it, but I, I think I think it was... Uh, <laughs> so, a couple things. So, first, I, I guess that he just found one of these Celebrite? Oh, know? dropped off the side of a truck kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It fell off the back of a truck, which, all right. Well, look at it. It literally looks like it fell off of a truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, truly unbelievable coincidence. I was recently yeah. out for a walk and saw yeah. a small package fall out. As I got closer... It was a celebrate, and this yeah. happens. Like you know, how I'm many sure times you walk around the street and you check the uh, you check the like garbage, and like there in the garbage is a celebrate just sitting around. I just I happened mean, to me the other day. You know, it yeah. happened more than I would like to say. Actually, yeah, it just happens a lot. I mean, people um, leave their fourteen thousand dollars celebrate you fed around all the time. So. Now, I would guess the reason why he's talking about this thing falling off of a truck is a lot of these companies have end-user agreements that are very, very harsh. Uh, and yeah. the clauses are actually illegal, by the way. But they have clauses in their contract that says, if you find any vulnerabilities, you find anything with it, you're not allowed to talk publicly about anything that you find associated with Celebrate. Now, 
That is all retroactively invalidated Consumer Fairness Protection Act of 2019 or 2016. Didn't uh, shut a, those down. But, we had a blog yeah. post a couple of years ago, right? I don't remember what EDR vendor it was, but didn't the same a similar thing happen to us where we had a blog post? Oh, that was and, Silence. Ah, uh, yeah, um, yeah, that was Silence mm. where we did the uh, four vulnerabilities in four days or four bypass techniques in four days, and then we concluded it out. But Silence uh, basically went through just from the name of the malware that we actually demonstrated in the post, found the customer. And then basically talked to the customer and said, hey, you're violating the EULA because BHIS is writing about this, which is funny because Silence then came out after Carbon Black got, I don't want to say caught because it was a default setting that you had to flip to true to allow automatic file uploads to VirusTotal. And Silence came out and said, at no point do we get information from our customers, which is a lot of garbage. But Silence is better now since they started giving us beer, which we, which we enjoy. But yeah, the same concept. And then CrowdStrike, it was uh, NSS Labs versus CrowdStrike in the state of Delaware. It's a case where this actually came to full fruition. But yeah, you know, you got to be careful with vendors because even if they can't sue you successfully, you don't want them to sue you because odds are they have more money than you and it can be very costly to deal with lawsuits. But you get free beer. <laughs> oh, we got free. So we got free beer because I think there was a change in management at Silence and they decided <laughs> to stop threatening to sue the security research community because I don't know if you know this, Ralph, but our main goal for releasing these blog posts was I was going to try to get Silence to sue us. That was that was my big <laughs> was my big hope because I knew we'd win. And uh, the other thing was it was great marketing. Like it would be like the coolest marketing ever to get sued by Silence, and they didn't. Thankfully, they didn't take bait. And after a while, they started working with our researchers, and they said, "If you find anything, bring it directly to us." And they got a lot cooler. I think there was a change in management <laughs> um, between that and. You know, whenever they got nice. So, but but like the, the, for this vulnerability, what? So, Ralph, continue telling us about. It. Well, yeah. So, I mean, just from the article, they they um he found some vulnerabilities in the actual Celebrite software itself. I mean, this comes back to you know a lot of scenarios that we've read where they're not. I, I think this is kind of a kickback, right? So, Signal is getting, I'd say, looking for vulnerabilities in Signal code, right? And any kind of vulnerability that you know Celebrite can utilize. And Signal was like, all right, well, let's look at your stuff. And it didn't look that great, right? Because nobody else was looking at the tools and there was a lot of outdated software. And, you know, because of that, the software was definitely vulnerable. I believe it. there was some, some code execution and some other things. It wasn't all disclosed exactly how to do it. But it was just kind of like, hey, you know, there's vulnerabilities in everyone's software and, you know, kind of throwing stones in the glass house kind of scenario. And oh. when you look at some of these products, they're they're just as and sometimes even worse than the other products that are really getting uh, brought through the um, you know band. And but you but you know you look at Celebrate like if they decide to go after Signal, it's it's like that bumper sticker you see all the time, um, uh, where it says you know do not do not do not go fighting dragons for your crunchy and you taste good with ketchup. Um, <laughs> if you're like, who should we pick a fight with? Moxie Marlin Spike. What possibly could go wrong with that, guys? <laughs> Um, and I, you know, be cool, I guess, is kind of the point in the industry. And, and yeah, I believe the whole thing, like you said, there's vulnerabilities in literally everything. So yeah. um, just for those who don't know, what is Celebrate? So Celebrate is an Israeli company, right? I believe that um, that's, creates, that's that, that creates um, devices and software to be able to clone and analyze mobile devices. It's very popular with law enforcement to do... Yep forensics on you know, Android and iOS devices. 
And so I was kind of, you know, cruising through this and it, you know, it, you know, it, I'm not surprised there's a vulnerability because they're, you know, they're taking a bunch of data and they're parsing it, you know, like with Wireshark, you're moving a bunch of data around and you're parsing through data, lots of opportunities there, right. For, for shenanigans. And so that seems to be what's happening looking through the article, the it, way they were parsing through files, there's a vulnerability. If you look at the picture too, if you see the bag that has all those adapters, right, that's because it works with all these different phone models, right? You're just designed to just pick up a phone, plug yeah. it in and be able to run forensics on it or be able to pull some information off of it. It's wild, these kits just with all the different adapters and all this other stuff. So, but yes, it, it is for, like you said, analyzing phones. I've used these kits before. There's actually another competing product too. I can't remember the name now besides Celebrite. There's two, two primary mobile forensics kits that are out there. And that's in addition to like the gray key and some of the other like very, very specific phone stuff like for the iOS or uh, unlock. Yeah. Like and that. at least on the iOS side, I mean, what they, they do, what, what, what Celebrate does to be able to clone, like say a, a fully patched modern iPhone is, well, they have jailbreaks. I mean, they're exploiting yeah. the phone. Right. And in some cases, I don't think they're always disclosed either. Right. It's not something that Apple is aware mm -hmm. of. So, I think, yeah, I guess I weren't they the weren't they the company that came up with the vulnerability that got the uh, FBI into the phone for the San Bernardino shooters? Yes, they were. I, well, okay. I, I guess, and I think at the same time there was thought there was a, 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 a procurement uh, from the government, like that paid Celebrate the same, like some sum of money, like two hundred thousand dollars or something. So I think it was speculated that it was. I'm not really sure that it was ever like official, but I mean, I guess you know, I. You know, talking about that that, that shooter's phone, I, I fully agree with Apple. No, we're not going to help you break the phone. But I also, you know, if you're if another company has an exploit and you're able to do it, I don't I don't have a problem with that either, right? So yeah. I don't know. I don't have a problem with celebrating what they do. But Malsiplus, uh said uh, Malsiplus forty two said no they weren't so we'll have to research mm -hmm. that but yeah but i don't but that's their that's what they do they literally do they come do. up with jailbreaks yeah. to do this i mean that's, yeah that's they, they would be they would be a consumer of that market right so they would buy these zero days and then implement mm -hmm. them and then sell them back like on a per phone basis right to people who want them that that's that's, that's their bread and butter is, is cellular compromises and and just <laughs> doing forensic they, they just pointed out celebrate didn't Correct people yeah. who claimed that they had the vulnerability uh, to get it, yeah. which is You're like, yeah, that's yeah. what people want to think. Yeah, we're bad. Yeah, let's go with it. Good, good marketing. Um, it. But, but so this gets into a bigger question. There's a law enforcement angle where it's like you have very bad people, you acquire their phones to find out what's going on. But then you get into the market of law enforcement having these vulnerabilities to bypass the security in our devices. I, I don't know. It's that really weird gray area where on one side, you're like, yeah, it, it's great that law enforcement can get this. But on the other side, I, I don't you know. Is law enforcement always the good guys? And I don't mean the United States because you had you have other countries around the world who may look completely differently about what is criminal activity. And you may not agree with them having that type of access. You know what I mean? I would definitely say that law enforcement is not always the good guys. I mean, no knock on anybody who's, you know, I have no problem with law enforcement. I'm just saying that I don't <laughs> think that um, the okay. intentions are always pure because people are, I mean, it's all humans, right? And humans always yeah. have motivation. But, but if you look at like something like, you know, the Chinese and the Uyghurs, right? Or you look at uh, Brunei and you look at some of these countries that are having these nation state level lockdowns, I mean, 
you would like to think that these companies would be very selective about where they're selling these devices. But damn, it's really hard for some of these companies, especially if there's funding. They're like, why did you turn down that like, you know, multi-million dollar contract? It's like, oh, they're going to yeah. use it to hunt people down and kill them. And they're like, but that's money. Um, <laughs> it's just, you know, it, this gets into that weird thing where once you have that knowledge for that bypass, you cannot assume that it's always going to be used for good. Or does that even matter? Does that outweigh the potential damages? I don't know. Reminds me of hacking team, right? That's the kind of the same. Scenario. Oh, my God. Our guy, Serge, uh, or hacky team was selling. Uh, what was the name of their tool? Finfisher? Is that it? Yeah, they were selling a bunch of different stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then and, they got hacked, which was also kind of funny. But, you know, hacky team yeah, hacked, but. I definitely agree <laughs> with uh, Anonymous's post encryption and the inconvenience it brings to law enforcement together and doesn't give them a free pass to skip over the Bill of Rights. Yeah, I, I agree 100 percent. I also I, th- I think that. You know, our our laws and how things are applied have definitely not caught up to society and how we use the digital technology, right? I mean, it never and, will. We, and we still have legislators today that are talking about how, well, we need to put some kind of backdoor in that encryption so we can have access to it. <laughs> that still comes up in <sighs> yeah. conversations. Oh, yeah. Well, no, it just came up here recently. Uh, the previous attorney general uh, uh, was uh, big on that, right? That there needs to be a backdoor. And I, I get the motivation, right? Like, but you know, we all know, and this is preaching to the fire, that if you put that back door in there, mm-hmm. someone else is going to find it. Yeah, yeah. And I've been part of some of those conversations where people are like, "Well, what if we did a really good job at the back door?" I'm like, "Someone's <laughs> going to bypass that." No, no. I mean, we bring in like some of the smartest people at the NSA, and we do it. And I'm like, "Yeah, Moxie Marlin Spike's going to find this thing, fall off the back of a truck, and then it's going to crack open." <laughs> For the entire world to see, yeah. Somebody said the top men are top men. Are top on. men on this? Yeah, yes, go all, yeah, so all the Raiders of the Lost Ark on this. That, that's the thing, right? Is like someone always has better kung fu. Like you can put top men on it, right? There's always somebody who's better, and that's who's going to find, it, right? Yeah. Somebody just said Azimuth was former IBM X Force. I don't know what Azimuth. Rob, do you know anything about that one? No, nope. nothing. Nothing. Okay, I don't know what that means, Joshua. Sorry. But I do like Joshua's mohawk. The green mohawk looks cool. So, all right. So what else do we have for news stories? Brian, I have not see. even read this one. But, oh, man, it looks good. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so this gets supply into... Chain, okay. Supply chain, supply chain, <laughs> It's the thing, uh, right? It's supply the chain. Thing. It's all their fault. Oh, my God. It's just going to get worse. And then these it's password managers. Ransomware. Yes. Oh, my God. So this what is an is article this? from Dan, I think. Password state is that the name of the password manager? Yep. I've never heard, I've never heard of that one. Yeah, I had never heard of password state actually. Actually, yeah. um, pretty uh, widely used over in Europe. Hmm. But you, you talk about the uh, the supply chain thing. This is getting to the heart of just some of the nastiest, nastiest. Like when you, when you start getting the like password managers, everyone talks about like LastPass and all these different things and. Oh my God, you know, we use it because we have to, but damn, like once you start talking about vulnerabilities and some of these things, that it's probably some of the nastiest vulnerabilities you can think of. That's why I write all my passwords down in a notebook. No one can hack yeah. my notebook. Exactly. Oh my, and, and you know, for years, people are always like, oh, don't use the notebook, guys. It's really bad. You know, somebody yeah, can what do you steal mean for your years? notebook. What do you mean for years? For years, people like if you look at that. the CISSP. People still say it. Yeah, they still say that. And the CISSP, it's like, which of these is the least secure? And it's like written down in a notebook. It's like, that's always the answer for least secure, even though 
Rob, I'm with you. I'm old school. No school like the old school, right? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, dude, it, if you're in my house and get my password manager book, I, I have a different threat model for that, right? We have a lot of problems <laughs> at that point. There's a lot of things that fail for us to get if, to that point. And my password manager breaks into Rob's is it one of it? Steals, steals his password that is, that manager. Is not, a, not something that you want to try, by the way. Internet. <laughs> that, don't do that, by the way. BHIS this is a horrible way to do this. Any of ours. This is not a way to live. Well, um, so to, to me, like the important thing here is how did Password State handle it? Because LastPass had a vulnerability a couple years ago that everybody started to get freaked out about, but they patched it so very quickly that. I don't really think that it mattered. So how did Password State handle it? Their disclosure timeline? I don't know. Let's go to their website. What is it called? Password State? Let's see. You would think that the, this, would be, this would be one of those things that would be on their website. Nope. Okay, let's go no. to media. Oh. Um, advisory. So Australia. Incident ma uh, management advisory. Okay, so you go to their advisories, and then they have another very small link at the bottom, advisory one and two. Then they have this really nice write-up. Mm. They yeah, they've compromised the. Before you got to it, the compromised yeah, the upgrade manager. It looked like supply chain. Why are we still using supply passwords? Chain. Why are we still using passwords? Because we haven't come up with anything better. What are we supposed to use other than passwords? Hold, hold on, hold on. Here's here's my thought. You guys can all burn it down and tell me I'm retarded, and uh, that's fine. So, what about just PKI? Right? Like, why can't we just possibly implement something around that? Right? Because certificate by management someone, sucks. Said someone said by someone who's never had to deploy PKI. That's what no, no, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That's fair. No, no, and, and I don't even mean necessarily certificates. I'm thinking like, uh, think something similar like SSHs, right? So instead of you know a CA and all the other fun stuff, just think SSH. But how is that managed and escrowed, and where does it come from? Because that's going down the road of I get issued like a PKI certificate with my ID, and that's my internet identity, and I got some real problems with that shit. So. No, 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 but but just like in an SSH, right? So you would just give. So when you okay, so. Let's say that you sign up for a random website and you want to log in, right? Or you want yeah. to have some password, right? So you give them a secret. So in this case, instead of giving them a password, you would just give them a public key. So that way, when it gets compromised or the website gets compromised or hacked, all they have is your public key. So they don't have a password. I, I like this idea. I got to be honest. I think that this is more secure. The only problem I have with it, Ralph, is I don't want to have to sit down and explain to my 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 aunts and uncles. <laughs> <laughs> Here's how okay. your public key works. Grandma, get them to use the password manager. That's why yeah, I yeah, yeah, hold, to use a notebook. Yeah, then they're gonna start yeah, using yeah. their public key manager <laughs> and their private key manager. Okay, okay. So, so what so, happens uh, if I just give them my private key? Does that make everything uh, faster? We're so, already using okay. password managers, so why not just to plug in in a browser? Okay, we're not. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm not gonna argue that. Point. you know we're close just, to that already right just so. i mean come on hear me out you, i get it i get it this is not solving passwords and i don't have the solution yeah. i guess i'm just hey, speaking out loud so so options we question, need options what about i've actually had clients asking this and i've i've got opinions but what about like microsoft hello and the pen and things yeah. that Micro like what what do you think about that i'm gonna let rob answer that question I think it's probably <laughs> so uh so I, I was just going to actually bring up Microsoft Hello, so thanks for that. Uh, but I think that um, that Microsoft's uh, push towards passwordless is, is pretty awesome. Um, however, comma, it, there's a... So anytime you go with anything other than passwords, then you start to have a hardware issue, right? So 
how do I get the hardware for like PKI, the smart card or whatever to everyone? The issue there is people are starting to use their phone as an option, right? And that's where Microsoft kind of hello comes in is where the the app and the phone being close to the computer. So we're kind of waiting on the the computer side of things to get better where you can have where you can have a laptop that has RFID or or some kind of Bluetooth connection where you can just drop the phone near it and you are authenticated. You log in instantly, right? So stuff like that is where we're kind of getting to. And and that that the, but the problem is how do you do that with servers? How do you do that with a remote desktop? How do you do that with websites? And uh, and that's kind of where Hello is getting towards is kind of having that um, that essentially interface lists password manager. So Hello would sort of be your credentials for everything, and it would be all FIDO based or not FIDO based, but like random randomized based and SSO based. And so you log in just at your computer and you're logged into everything. And you know what, like from a technical perspective, like the geek in me, I love the idea of walking up with my phone and like everything just logs me in. Seriously, you know, we look at it from a security perspective. Like if, if somebody steals your phone, like even if I'm sitting down at dinner and I've done this with some of you and I'll take your phone and set it in front of me, like there's this intense <laughs> uncomfort that just kind of comes in. They're like, like why are you touching Why that? are you touching my phone? And it's like, this becomes the thing, but this gets into, you know, kind of some of the meta issues that we've kind of talking about already is this, if you're going to do something like that, you have to give some form of centralized control to someone, right? It's going to be Facebook. It's going to be Google. It's going to be Amazon. It's going to be Microsoft. And I think that that's one of those big concerns that a lot of people have is how much control do you actually give these different groups? Because a lot of these solutions, and anytime anyone's talking about getting rid of passwords, you have to understand that immediately as soon as you start, start talking about getting rid of passwords, you're immediately talking about giving up control to some intermediary that's going to handle identity and access management. And as bad as passwords are, one of the things I always tell people, passwords are awesome. Because if Rob wants to keep a notebook with his passwords, he can. If somebody wants to generate this weird thing, like Winston Smith said, for each letter of the alphabet, create a memorable word. For the first couple of letters, the domain, use your alphabet... That, I think that's horrible. I think that's a bad <laughs> idea for me, right? If Winston likes it, that's awesome. He should totally do that. And that's one of the things that's really, really cool about passwords is it boils it down to something that can be personable and uh, it doesn't have to be something that's centrally controlled. If we use LastPass, it's because we choose to, right? If you use Google for single sign-on to everything, it's because you choose to. If you want to, you can totally create separate passwords for everything. Hell, if you want to, you can use the same password for everything. So this gets into the, one of those things of like freedom from oversight and things like that. As if you keep but, giving people responsibility, they may do stupid things, but at least it's up to the individual. And that's one of those things that I keep thinking is, I really hope passwords don't ever go away because of that. Well, I mean, don't you, wouldn't you agree, though, that password managers kind of are that third party, right? That, act, that extra I totally party. agree. I mean, but what yeah, I'm I mean, saying is it's an option. It's a choice. It, it is an option. LastPass is also not taking all my data and mining it to sell things to me, right? As like, far as I we got, know. As far as, as I know. As far as we know. As far as we know. All the companies far. that John just mentioned, I don't want to give any of them like no. more oversight 
over my life, right? Like I have some real problems with like how they, they operate and what they do, but that's my choice. Like John was saying, right? Like, you know, I, I might not want to participate in social media anymore because I don't like what they do, but I'm not going to go tell my wife, Hey, sorry, you got to ditch your Facebook account. Right. Like, <laughs> like I can't yeah, do so that. But, but the, I mean, nice, if, the nice thing about hello or something like that is that, that you're not really giving away the, complete hold right so for single sign-on the iam or the in um the identity manager idm it stores all of your credentials and your single sign-on and everything like it like LastPass, like you might have your master password but you type it into their their site right like yeah it's typed in somewhere right and so then you can get a nice the thing i like about the hello stuff is that i have my phone it generates a FIDO based key every time, every few seconds or whatever. And it's the only thing that can unlock the access by combining the two objects inside of memory to log into other things. Right. So, so my question is what's the recovery on that, Rob? Like, you know, if I break my phone, oopsies, I dropped it. What is the recovery mechanism to be able to get, get that back? Yeah. I don't one drive. (laughs) Yeah, throws everything on one. God damn it! So I actually, you know, when I I recently, you know, you encrypted a drive with BitLocker, right, and said, "Hey, where do you want to like store this in the cloud?" And and Microsoft's, I was like, "Yeah, that sounds great. Here, you you can be my key escrow, right?" And so I guess if there's granular options for that, and I I, I'm not saying I would never use something like Hello. I'm just saying that I, I really don't like the idea of something being forced or mandated like something that's options well, that people can choose and if that is to choose to have crappy passwords then hey that just keeps me in business right yeah so. <laughs> well and, 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 yeah and uh, there's that aspect right it's a jobs program darren uh for pen testers everywhere yeah i don't think it, i don't think it's really about removing choices i think it, i think it's about giving more choices and the easiest yes. fastest best one is the one everyone clicks all the time They're like yeah i could use a password but i just use this i don't know insert name or plug in or whatever it is on my phone and how i have to think about passwords because i'm telling you right now people who hate passwords are going to love that whatever that is okay they're going to just gravitate toward it and be like well i just get to log in i don't really enter passwords anymore and uh and i think even us as security professionals we want that as well right we want to know that we didn't have to think of a secure password that it already happened even though you know i totally agree with you john that we don't necessarily want to give away all of this stuff third party but i mean i think there are some ways to make this work so hey, you know convenience is going to win i I, so, I ain't gonna lie like unlocking uh you know last pass on my phone with the dongle and the uh the ub key and everything just <laughs> kind of a pain in the ass yeah it is, it yeah. is. so, so he done why i just wanted to say real quick yeah. he said let's implant a chip in all our bodies <laughs> rob do you remember the year at schmoocon i think it was schmoocon where larry pesci from security weekly he had put the chip inside of his, his, his hand, and he could unlock his computer. And I can't remember who it was, but somebody cloned the RFID chip in his hand <laughs> and then went and unlocked his computer. So I had to interrupt. Nice. I'm sorry. But yeah, go ahead. I want to take one angle to this, too, right? There's, all, there's password security for yourself, which is something that everyone should worry about and everyone should talk about or, or you know figure out what works for them. But we can also talk about enterprise security. and. Enterprise password security is is a completely different thing, right? There's different considerations that you have to work with, right? The first being 
where is that password going to be stored? How is it going to be stored? So if you're talking about, you know, most of the time Active Directory, like, are you still storing LM passwords? Are you sure you're oh, not? God. Um, that kind of thing. Like, how many pen tests have you been on recently? Anyone on this call that you still have LM passwords somewhere in the uh, AD, right? Yeah, definitely. So, definitely so, in 2020. Right. Yeah. 20, well, 2021, right? But so, that also goes um, back to that legacy stuff, Rob. And I think that might be where you're going. Yeah. Like sometimes you, you you just can't get rid of like all these bad things that have happened in security never go away because these apps and these bad ideas just have a tendency well, of lingering forever. Yeah, yeah. Here, and, and so here's how as, you do it. I'll go ahead. I was going to say, and you come in as infosec and you, you say, hey, we need to get rid of this, whatever it is, whatever legacy technology and operations says, okay, what's going to break? And you go, Oh, like, no, you're not getting rid of that. So here, here's how you do it. You incentivize security. Like every other part of security, incentivizing security is the way to go for it. So what, what you do with passwords is you say, if you want to have an eight-character password, fine. You're going to have to log back into the VPN every eight hours. You're going to have to have to sign into SSO every two hours. You're going to make it as painful as possible that you know, the IT team isn't going to yell at me if we you have password an eight-character password. Right. Like, yep. Your password so then, has to be changed once a week if you choose eight and, characters, right? Right. And then, so you have this in, in group policy, and you say, if you're assigned to this group, this specific group in group policy, then you get these password settings. Then, if you go to 12 characters or more, or whatever, if you sign up for this group, then you have a minimum of 12 characters. And you get to sign, stay logged in to VPN for two days and SSO for, for you know, a full day or, or, or longer or whatever, however you, nice you want to be. And then you increase that and say you don't have to change your password to anything but six months. And, and then, you know, 15 character passwords and 24 character passwords and stuff like that. The longer and more complex you can say, you know, here's your, 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 um, your limit or your minimum and incentivizing security and password security in, in particular, then you're really getting into the point where you have users making the conscious choice to do the better thing because the, the insecure choice is more painful. So Rob, I think one of, one of the presentations I saw you with this that I think drove this home the best, you were talking, I think it was about Pi-hole. But it was basically mm-hmm. uh, an internet allow listing where if somebody went to a website that they've never seen before, it basically popped up and it said, are you sure you want to go to this? Because it's going to record you as this user ID went to this yeah. website at this time. And by putting it in the hands of people, it sounds insane, but it really reduces the amount of just casual yeah. clicking that people do. Yeah, if you give if you give people power, it's crazy, but they tend to shrink from it, right? For like, yeah, in, that's... like going away from like, oh, you're going to affect the entire company. Uh, never mind. I'm not going to click that, yeah. right? So, like the 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 proxy settings that we we're talking, I, I t- talked about in the talk was essentially it was a a proxy that only had an allow list that was completely empty once once a week, once a month. Mm-hmm. I thought and, it was yeah, yeah. right. As you went through it, or at once a day, depending on how fast you can go through it, 
as you go through it, as if I go to google.com, I click allow for the entire company because I think that that's okay. Then the entire company gets that, you know, site allowed. And then for every single one that you go through, each user is having to click, yes, I'm okay to go there, which completely destroys phishing. The reason it completely destroys phishing is because, and, and this is why I have the mindset that you can actually solve phishing, is because a phishing website is going to send you a link. You'll hit the link, which should, which will probably get to an allow list. And that's awesome that they can, you know, get on the allow list. They can use CDNs or all these things. Cool. They click the link, they download the thing, they ran the thing. Almost guaranteed, they are not going to have a domain or a host name that's on that allow list. And I guarantee there isn't a single C2 framework that's publicly available that can click a flash button that says, yes, I want to allow it, right? So you break all C2, essentially. Yep. The, at least web C2, sorry. But so, and, and what's weird is we've, we've talked about this. Companies hate that idea, right? They're like, so let me get this straight. You're going to put our users in, in charge power. of our security? <laughs> I don't think so. And what they don't understand is if you do that, like they would rather have a company come up with like a default like deny list that they can apply than putting you know the users creating the allow list dynamically. And I don't yeah. think that people understand that like the total number of like sites that are allowed is far far fewer if you allow the users to actually click through things. Um, right. And so you, it's you, weird. I think you make it so that it's it says like the the yes that allow is in red. Like that's yeah. the other piece yeah, of this, right? Red the yes head, allow right? is in red. And the, it's got a sad the no go in is green. Like yeah. you have to play on the psychology of the user, right? You have to think and, you have to And maybe show, we could have a little line rob right below that says, you know, you could go to this website on your personal phone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just as a recommendation, maybe. So that, that, that's actually a really good point though, because I, I feel like that at least, you know, over the last couple of years, let, let's say it's like 2016, 2017 until now, I feel like that web content filtering just isn't really a, a priority for a lot of our clients. Like it never comes up anymore. It never, we're never really you know, talking about it because people are using their phones. Like they just, they don't use their work computer to do things a lot of the times it seems. So isn't Apple pretty much doing the same thing too. And this is a, uh, this is actually what um, for privacy. Okay. So not just privacy, but Apple just is about to soon be releasing it where they'll pretty much say, do you want this app to track you outside of the app? In oh yeah, apps? no, it's kids coming. Yeah, yeah and finally, that, finally and doing it, the and finally doing the Android thing. Well, yeah. well no, 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 no. It's 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 different than that. They're actually going after like Facebook actually has uh, commercials out about how targeted advertising is like the best good thing ever. You. Right? It's good for you, right? No, Apple is going to make it to where. These apps can't make money unless you let them make like these companies. Make you have money. to you have to opt in. That's you have that's to opt in. Thing. Yeah, yeah. But is there any option or any requirement to opt in as set intervals, or is it just opt in once and you're there forever? Yeah, when you when you first yeah um, when you first install or whatever, it will say <laughs> it, it pretty much calls out the app. It goes, "Hey, listen, this app is tracking you outside of the app. Are you okay with that?" And no, that's your yeah. one chance, right? So. Well, yeah, I can tell you right now from like the TikTok research that I did, like just if you don't have TikTok open, reboot the phone, comes back up. I mean, it's checking in every, you know, 10, 20 seconds. Like it's basically tracking, right? All, all social media apps are doing that. Instagram, like they're, they're all doing it and they do it so that they can target advertisement to you. That's how they're making their money. 
and uh, Google came up with this. We'll call it surveillance capital. Yeah. Speaking of tracking, but did you guys Derek, I have nothing to hide. What are you talking about? <laughs> I've yeah. got wrong. I'm a good citizen. Have you guys seen the new AirTag now? The what? Apple AirTag? Yeah, yeah. so they're little, they're little tracking devices, okay? They're like, oh, supposed to be like true. tiles, right? Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm totally getting my wife some of these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and what they do, and, and so this is actually kind of cool, and think about the security ramifications of this real quick. Okay, so what they do is they track that they use uh, two things, right? They use a wideband, which is kind of like a, uh, a directional location uh, built into the iPhone. And they use Bluetooth to, um, you know, track where the little uh, tracker is, right? And mm-hmm. what they do is they crowdsource every single iPhone, and every iPhone can see these devices, and it has like an ID, and it will rebroadcast where the iPhone is based on that, right? And um, so that way, if you lost something and some other person walks by and they have an iPhone, it would alert you that this thing is so-and-so here. It was last seen at this point. Now, where it gets interesting is they Apple already thought about some of the tracking ramifications. So like putting one of these tags on someone else that you own and then using Apple's network to track this person or figure out where they are. So I guess if that happens, right? So if you put something, put one of these tiles that you own on someone else, it will alert the other person on their phone and let them know that there's a tile near or a tracking device near you. But yeah, if they have an iPhone. Yes, if they have There's an iPhone, yeah, yeah, something unseemly about all of this. This all just seems yeah. it, it makes me bad. feel uncomfortable. Also, if no, no, not just if you have an iPhone, but check this out. If the tag is not near the person for a long period of time, then I'm, I think that it detects that it's being used in that purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a bunch of that, but I, I don't know. It's just it, it's wild. The big thing to take here is that all iPhones sure. will snitch on you or let other people know about where these tags are at all times this isn't going to work though and and i want want to explain like why it's not going to work and this is going to be one of those things like no one needs so much memory and the internet is a fad the thing that i think is going (laughs) to suck okay about this is let's say i've got a tag you've got a tag everyone's got a tag and we all work in the exact same office and Mm -hmm. i'm sitting there and i'm working with 150 people that are all using these tags if what you're saying is kind of like how it's working it seems to me like my phone's going to be going off constantly and saying, hey, there's a bunch of freaking tags around you. So I can almost see users just kind of so, de- just so destroying those they, notifications. No, they already anymore. thought of this. They thought of this. So it, it, it lets you know if the person who owns the tag is not nearby. Okay? So if there's a bunch of tags in an office and all of those tags, you know, the but owner I is nearby. Keys, if I leave my keys at my desk or someone leaves their keys in their purse... And uh-huh. they, do you see, like, I, I just, I, I don't know. Like, I see this thing, like, freaking out. Like, this is, I just see this no, as a feature where people are going to freak out. Artificial intelligence and they'll solve it. Oh, I'm sure. Okay, there we go. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, okay, oh, no, okay never sense. mind. Yeah. I stand corrected. My bad. <laughs> I, I'm, my bad. This is I really feel like the tile, isn't it? Tile, yeah. Like, well, there goes Apple destroying yeah. a computer, uh, a com- like a, not a competitor, but a full company all yeah, over again. Like, them. the people at Tile are like, oh shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and well, the thing with Tile was that you just never had the buy-in of the of the actual <laughs> network. Enough. If you people. didn't have enough people that had the app on, then the Tile wouldn't yeah. work. But if you use Apple, yeah. then done. I mean, seventy percent of the one world now billion is iPhones network. are now immediately on the network. Yeah. 
I'm just, I, I, I don't know. I'd love to see how this is going to work out in reality. Like you're on the, you know, you're at work and you leave things and I don't know. I don't know. But they probably won't apply this crap to, I, to the AirPods though. Because people lose their freaking <laughs> AirPods all the time. And then Apple's like, every time someone gets into the AirPods system, they go through like three of them a year because they keep oh, losing perfect. the damn thing. They're going to have these little tile things all over the place and uh, they won't turn it on for, for the AirPods probably. John, I'm going to get a bunch of these and just hand them out at the conference and just see what happens. We should. We should totally just buy a hand. (laughs) Just buy a ton of them and just hide them everywhere. Everywhere, yes. And then it becomes a, uh, uh, what do they call it, where you're going and finding little things, uh, geocaching type game. That completely destroys Apple's whole plan. It's like, you guys aren't doing it right. This isn't how it was supposed to be. (laughs) You guys remember David Maynard? did a talk about shipping his iPhone at Black Hat back and forth. So he tracked the locations of his iPhone the entire way, where mm-hmm. it got shipped and how, and who kind of handled what Bluetooth was around it. Like, I think yep. there was other signal analysis. Because like, he was able to look at the tracking facilities or the shipping right. facilities, too. Yeah, and the devices and, so and everything. I can just imagine, you know, version two of his talk where he's shipping these, you know, because almost everything, almost everything inside of inside of like tracking and facilities and stuff like that, use iPads and iPhones and and stuff like that for at least UPS and I think FedEx as well. I don't know about USPS; they might use Android devices. But like, if if you're shipping things with these things now, and each iPhone has that that you know automatic indicator, you can start getting even more, even better tracking of the different devices that it's near. And if you can alert phones that are near, can you imagine being the FedEx guy holding like your your iPad app that's, you know, you're scanning boxes through and all of a sudden it buzzes and says, you have a found device near you. (laughs) uh Well, I don't know if you remember uh, Larry, since we were talking about Larry already, Larry and Mike Poor at one of the ShmooCons, they actually shipped like something that was just completely tricked out to the nines to intercept like Bluetooth and all kinds of wireless signals and everything. And their biggest problem was trying to get the right batteries and the total amount of batteries that they could ship. And they had like, um, what do they call it? Something that, that detects how much speed goes through it. But at any rate, they could tell when the boxes were thrown into the airplanes, even though it said fragile on it. Um, Like the G's went off the charts, like at one of these times that someone clearly dropped it. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, Jeff McJunkin said, or what if you leave some of those evil devices on public transit vehicles? Yeah, there's just no end to the mischief that you'll be able to get into. And then you could name them probably, uh, like really fun names too. (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be a fun con, Ralph, where these things come out. I think think we're going to have fun with this. My other one other question with this was uh, how the Bluetooth communication works, right? So if that's open, now supposedly it's encrypted and blah, 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 but is there some ID that you can see? Like, is it all using Apple's encryption? So no one else that really has the key for this. I mean, there's tons of questions and obviously Apple is pretty close source, so they don't talk about it. But like, you know, I wonder if there's some kind of ID that you can pull off on this Bluetooth and then essentially you could track these, you know, outside of the network. Right. Uh, It'll be fun. It'll be fun. fun All right. So let's wrap it up. I want to say thank you very much uh, to everyone for coming. Ralph, Noah. Dale, uh, Derek, Mubix, we got Ryan is going to be coming back on here a second. I know Jason's been lingering in the background. And everybody that came and listened to us live, we really appreciate it as well. And with that, Ryan, take us out. 